is Angela, and this is the Homestead Education Podcast, where we talk all things homesteading, and we want to share our passion and experience for this lifestyle with you. Hello, everybody. Uh, welcome back, Homestead Education. This is Mandy here with Angela, of course. Hello. Hello, hello, hello. Hello, hello. Um, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. I'm doing well. We were just talking about, um, thawing out and just our weather and we always chat before we even hit record. And sometimes we should just like hit record because we, we always talk about the, I mean, some really weird stuff. Um, but, uh, we, if you listen last week, we were talking about how cold it was and it's been so ridiculous, like pretty much across the country, even for people that are not used to it being so cold and we're kind of thawing out. It's, um, we're going to be in the fifties next week, which is crazy for January here. So we go from oh, negative, well deserved, well deserved, which is just like so nuts. Um, so anyway, we are happy that you're here and listening. And um, if you have listened to any of the episodes prior to this one, you will know that Angela and I talk pretty much on a regular basis about pretty m- much anything under the sun. And we, um, I don't know if you want to go into any details and we don't have to, but um, we started talking because Angela had, I'm going to call it an emergency on your homestead, um, which is not actually atypical, um, most recently. And, um, and then I'm thinking to myself, what's deemed an emergency, but we'll, we'll get into that. And so then I was like, well, do you think that people, you know, are, are prepared? And and then how do you handle emergencies now versus when you started? And then it kind of just got our wheel wheels churning. And then kind of on the flip side of that, I had shared something on social media that I actually saw from um, another friend. And it was a very long poem, if you will, or a writing piece that's been kind of circulating about um, farming or homesteading uh, doesn't make you strong. It doesn't make you anything it just reveals you. And I just like couldn't stop thinking about it. And then we talked about that. So anyway, we're going to talk about that with you all today. Kind of it's, I think that they, the two conversations can be blended together, which is always kind of the hope here. Emergencies on your homestead, are you prepared? And then like what doing all of these things that we do, it doesn't make you, it doesn't make you tough. It doesn't make you strong. It just like actually peels back all of your layers and, and, and shows yourself most importantly, but everybody else too, who you are and, and what it, what it is all about. Um, what are your thoughts on my rambling and my ideas for today? I love these ideas. I think it's so great to have these conversations. We've already talked a lot in previous episodes about like the technicalities of winter care and the basics of like triage or first aid and what you should have on hand. And Mm -hmm. then I think it's good when you can take those episodes and present them alongside with real life application and sort of just a conversation and, and what goes through our head when we're going through some of these things. 
And then with regard to, you know, the whole tough piece, I think there's a reason that a lot of people get out of homesteading and farming horse ownership or sheep care or goat care. It's because if you, I don't want to say if you're not tough, it's just that if you're not tough in the farm respect or in this field, then you would leave it. You would, I don't want to say you would buckle, but you're either built for this lifestyle or you're not. Mm -hmm. And I think if you're built for it, then you're going to roll with it and keep going, right? We could just like go off on a tangent and talk about that. But I, I, I always, you know, I, I think about these things and yes, I think you're right. 100%. And that's not meant to be rude or, you know, we're not coming at anybody. Certainly not because we're, we're in it with you, but you know, I, it's no secret that we're in the age of social media and so many things um, maybe just give you a snippet of what anything, not just homesteading or farming, just whatever it is. It gives you like a very small snapshot of what things truthfully or, or semi-truthfully actually are. And a lot of people on the same token of the tough piece and um, revealing actually like who you are, uh, People um, almost like idolize the the homesteading life, and um, a lot of people have started homesteading. We'll kind of, I mean, we'll, we'll kind of get into that here in a second. But what I see so often is, you know, like living a simple life, and I hate that. Um, it's not simple. <laughs> I mean, it's not, not simple, right? Um, I'm not, I'm not saying that it, I'm not saying that it's hard all the time, but there's, I mean, if you think about it, if you like strip it down to its core, there's nothing simple about waking up every single day and feeding animals in any type of weather or terrain, milking animals, finding, you know, people to stay when you go on vacation. There's nothing simple about growing most of your family's food. If that's what you do or raising meat, those things aren't actually by definition simple. Like, you know, what would be simple is going to the grocery store. I mean, if you want to take that for an example or, or whatever, right. And we do both. So again, not coming at anybody, but like the idea of the, the, the whole notion that homesteading and is simple it's not. Um, and so that just completely, I just, I just went off on a fork or a tangent there, but, um, but no, it ties in. It ties in. Um, okay. So I'm going to take it back to the whole emergency thing and, and it just kind of had us, had us, um, talking or had me thinking like how I handle emergencies or just like animal care or whatever an emergency being your water line to your you know all that 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 your drip irrigation or whatever it is it it busted or you know things that go awry um and really where my brain is is more animal related and you know veterinary care related but how you handle those things now versus how you handled it when you first started and I gave an example that wasn't really applicable to the episode last episode, but how, when it was so cold, I used to keep a thermometer in the barn. Um, like I was going to be able to change the ambient temperature. Right. But, um, you quickly learn that 
you know, animals are adaptable and they've been doing these things for thousands of years and here we come and, you know, you can't change it. You just adapt differently. You do things, you do things differently once you've been doing said thing for so long. Um, not saying that it gets easier, um, but you just kind of learn how to, to manage those, those situations, whether they can be controlled or not controlled. Do you think, like, do you feel like, how have you changed? Like, how have you changed in handling emergencies on your homestead? What, you know, animal related or not then versus now? I mean, I was thinking about, well, okay, so the emergency we're talking about was horse-related, because it always is lately. (laughs) (laughs) And I was thinking about this, and how did I go for so long with just having Dozer and Finnegan? It was like a seven-year stretch, knock on wood, where we we had some light colic. uh, We had some real um, superficial eye ulcers, scratches on the cornea, and you know, we had a couple hoof abscesses, but other than that, it was, it was really quiet for like seven years. And I was thinking, why now do I have so much more activity? Has something that I have been doing care wise changed? And, mm-hmm. and it made me think, no, I think in the beginning I had beginner's luck. Number one, I definitely did not, did not know then a, a fraction of what I know now. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure 10 years from now, I'll be saying the same about where I'm at at this particular point in my homesteading journey, but I won't, I don't know as much now as I will hopefully then. I think though, as you, your homesteading journey progresses, your animals are aging, number one. Number two, you've gotten comfortable. And so you've likely increased your stock, your head count. And so when you start increasing the number of animals you care for, you're going to very much likely have uh, more incidents of things that require attention. Because now instead of having like two horses, I have four. And these elephants are constantly playing with each other and they're rougher and they, you know, they're, they put more pressure on not just each other, but on my fences and my infrastructure. And so when you, you have an increase in animals, you're just going to have an increase in, in happenings, if you will. But then I think there's also... I don't want to say a callousness that comes with these things. I want to say there is a level of experience that now things that I think of as emergencies Hmm. are very different from what I would think of as emergencies as a beginner homesteader. And so I am, am I slower to react? No, I just more, uh, I'm more adept, Mm -hmm. I think, to pivot or respond. Mm -hmm. I, I just respond differently now than what I would earlier maybe calmer or just like I don't know but yeah I mean I I that's a really good point that you make about you know kind of getting comfortable and increasing you know you can do it for a lot of different um, areas in home setting gardening you increase your you know your raised beds or you start growing more food then you have more pest pressure and you're like well gosh now all my food that I used to be able to harvest is getting eaten alive and what am I doing and you know there's there's it is um yeah it is quite a journey so then the next kind of like my where my mind was trailing after talking to Angela about 
what was going on with the horses and just, you know, kind of in general at her place is, um, well, I actually want to take it back. So what I want to ask you, again, I feel like we have these conversations and I could, I could really like branch off in so many different ways. So I think that there are, I mean, that's just where my brain, that's just how my brain functions. Welcome. That's, it is chaotic a lot of the times. So (laughs) (laughs) we, I, there are a lot of people, I think, like the reemergence of homesteading, if you will, gardening, you know, backyard chickens, you know, there are cities popping up all across the United States specifically that now are allowing backyard chickens, which, you know, five years ago they didn't. So, you know, we've talked about it, um, before. And if you're kind of in the, in the, the community or the, the lifestyle, you also, um, you also know that more people than, you know, five or 10 years ago are kind of living this quote unquote lifestyle. Um, so what is your, when we're talking about emergencies and, and things like that, kind of on that piece, what would be your piece of advice for somebody that's where you were five, eight years ago? I mean, I think in the beginning, if you see some sort of trauma and aren't sure what to do or don't have the means, meaning like the knowledge or the equipment or the supplies or mm-hmm the meds to treat always, 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 always contact a vet, contact a vet. If you think you know how to treat, but aren't sure, even just want their blessing. My main vet that I have has become like more than a friend. I think than a friend and a mentor than just like a hired professional. I contact this person constantly. Mm -hmm. Uh, and sometimes we'll go a couple months where everything is calm and great. And it's like, okay, don't, don't put anything out in the universe that is going to like yeah. all of a sudden make something happen that I have to contact my vet for. It's a good thing that I'm not contacting her, but I mean, in the, be- in the beginning, it, it was just, we started with ducks, right? So it was hawk attacks and seeing ducks get picked off before we had the livestock guardian dogs. Um, and then one of the most horrible incidents that I dealt with was where a predator had grabbed a duck by the head and pierced her eyes with its mouth, but somehow something scared it off and didn't carry the duck off. So she was left with these holes in her eyes and head. And so I, she was still alive though. So I grabbed her and I'm like gently cleaning up her wombs and throwing, you know, ophthalmic antibacterial in there. And I don't have a duck vet, didn't know of one at the time. And so it was just, doing the best that I could. We actually restored sight one of our eyes. But what I'm getting at is this isn't a resume of what I have and haven't dealt with. What it is is just an explanation that the longer you keep animals and the more that you add, the likelihood and the inevitability comes with it that you're going to run into something that you have to figure out how to solve. And, you know, I was telling my husband, Sean, about the other day, like, this is one of those things that a lot of us don't have the privileges of homesteaders and farmers to go to any sort of veterinary care class for They just don't have those. It's either you're in vet school or you're not. There's not like mini certification courses that I've mm-hmm. looked. And so if you don't have that knowledge, how do you learn? You have to go through it. 
And so that sucks, but that's like, that's the only way I've gotten the veterinary know-how at all, anything, you know, from Bumblefoot to whatever is by dealing with it firsthand. Yeah. But what are your thoughts? Uh, I mean, well, that's just a really good point. And again, I could branch off and talk about many things that you just said, but my biggest piece of advice is to have a mentor. Yeah. I mean, you, I mean, obviously having a good client patient, um, I'm talking about like the human being the patient, quote unquote, with your vet, even though you're not the actual patient, but you have that client patient relationship that way, then like Angela said that you can just like call on them. Right. So Mm -hmm. yeah, but having, having a mentor, um, whether that's actually somebody physical, um, nowadays, again, with social media, there's so many different, you know, groups and, and pockets of things that you can probably find in your area that will actually have people, um, you know, physical people or it's people online. Um, I have my own thoughts about, you know, your comment about not knowing how to do stuff and then just having to go through it. I like wholeheartedly believe in that um, so much that like, you you know, there are so many things that we can teach people, right? Um, In a broad sense of the word teach, but you cannot teach somebody how to homestead, right? Because everybody does not at the core. No, no. Right. You can teach somebody how to butcher a chicken or to grow a tomato, but like, and the, at the, at like the big umbrella, you can't teach somebody how to homestead. So, um, it's all these little tiny instances that then if you have a, that that's my biggest piece of advice before you dive into something, you know, maybe you have animals or whatever it is and you want to start raising sheep, I would find somebody who is seasoned in that area and, and try to befriend them or, you know, see if they would offer pieces of advice before just like going in head first. Um, so again, this, this led me to, we're talking about like the client patient relationship. And so then I kind of just like knowing that sometimes it's not feasible to take an animal in, or sometimes you just, you you can't, or you live far away. Right. I mean, a lot of, a lot of us or a lot of people that homestead or whatever, um, are more rural obviously than a metropolitan dwelling individual. Um, and so then I was looking up some statistics and Angela and I were talking about this. And so, um, one in five Americans. Now I didn't do, you know, outside the United States just for ease, I guess, live in rural America. And so then, then we were talking like, well, what is rural? What, like, what is considered rural? And overall, it's just not living in a metropolitan area. So then I was thinking, okay, well, if, if we are all here trying to like figure out how to do things by ourselves and, you know, figuring our veterinary care and how to grow food and doing all those things, um, how far away are people, now there's not a lot of data for how far away people are from like a veterinary facility, but people, the average distance to a grocery store is seven to 10 miles. Now, if you like get, get, get into the nitty gritty. A lot of people actually live closer to some type of a smaller grocery store, um, seven to 10 miles for a grocery store, about 10 miles from an, from a hospital. Um, so kind of the same. Now we 
well, I guess we do live about from a hospital that I would go to. <laughs> we live, well, Casey works there. So um, it's about 30 miles. There are, there are obviously places like minute clinics and there is a hospital closer, but uh, you know, so you have to kind of, anyway, but we're not talking about human medical care or grocery stores or anything like that. But the whole, my whole like process and, and thought in looking up these statistics is how, well, how close we are to, to veterinary care, because you can kind of assume that, you know, in those larger areas, you might have a veterinary clinic. Now you might not. Um, and then it's just kind of the, the piece of learning how to do all these things and without having the access and, you know, you get super far rural out, um, where people it's, it's an interesting dynamic to me where people don't have access to these things. People don't have access to like a, a main grocery store or a good hospital or veterinary care because they live further out. So they are required, not really required, but they, they might rely on growing their own food and treating their own animals. Right. But like, do they actually have skills or whatever? Probably not, but have they learned? Yes, because they've been forced to. It is all just, it's its interesting. If you actually like break it down layer by layer and think about all the, you know, think about, it's interesting how, I don't know. I don't know. What do you, what are your well, thoughts? There's a, history, there's a historical component to that as well. Like when mm -hmm. homesteading and farming was more common, mm -hmm. I mean, people didn't drop, everything and call a vet at the first sign of any sort of issue well, it's also like community sufficiency right so like yeah people right people around you had different skill sets or whatever and you had to you had your you live far away from big towns or big cities where there were those resources so you had to make your own resources where you were i don't know my my uh farrier used to be a vet in romania Oh, up until cool. a couple of years ago, and he moved to the United States. And one reason that I love working with him so much is because he uses his vet skills when he's mm -hmm. chewing. So he has all these tricks about, you know, how to get them to pick up their feet, making sure they're comfortable. And he'll notice little things, you know, if they had a nick here or there and say, you should try to put some of this on it. And, um, you know, I was the reason he decided to be a farrier here in the States is because his cr credentials didn't transfer. And so rather than go back to vet school, he was like, you know what? I still like working with animals. I'm going to be a farrier. It's good money, especially in New Jersey. So <laughs> <laughs> I was talking to him and I'm like, don't you miss being a vet? And he was like, absolutely not. And he was telling me this story about at this village he's from in Romania. If during calving season, if there's a cow that's going into labor, by the time he arrived to assist in delivery, the community of farmers was already there, all gathered around to try to help. And they all did that for one another. So it wasn't just the vet showing up. It was, uh, Hey, we're all going to help one another. We're all in the same boat, raising the cattle together. Mm -hmm. And so there wasn't just this one vet that you relied on to help you with your issues. You had a support system. And so I think mm -hmm. here it's very, we're very isolated as homesteaders, I think, which is perhaps why the homesteading community on social media platforms is so big because we we are not a dominant lifestyle group, right? In our society, there are not a lot of people homestead. 
And so mm-hmm. you have to try to seek out these these relationships. But I think what what to your mind now, and your answer is going to be different than mine because you have a veterinary background and I don't. Mm-hmm. What do you consider an emergency? Oh gosh. Yeah, it would have to be pretty bad. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm, oh God, I'm a specific example. I don't know. I mean, my a, a specific. Ex- I mean, it's it's different. It would different. It would be. It would differ depending on the species. I don't know that I would consider much of an emergency with any poultry. Um. Dog, like you know, something that would be um like a gaping wound but I wouldn't even consider that necessarily an emergency because I would have tools to kind of keep it clean and then you know go the next day I don't know emergency would be like a down cow or like a down horse or a colic or something like that where like you actually do need like true help or intervention and then that brings I don't know that it kind of brings me to my next like thought process about I was typing some notes this morning and then, you know, Angela and I, we practice, we practice different things on our homestead. I mean, I, we consume meat, you don't consume meat. You know, I mean, you're obviously like an incredible permaculturist. Um, Thank you. Well, you, I mean, you, we do things differently. We do things a lot the same, but we do things differently. So then I was thinking about the whole idea around, you know, emergency and treating your pets and what do we consider emergencies and maybe what we do to our, with our farm animals versus somebody that has, you know, like a golden retriever that lives in the middle of New York city and has, you know, access to care probably on every other corner. Right. And then the, um, the idea sometimes that, uh, rural folks or farmers or homesteaders or ranchers don't actually like take good care of their animals in my you know that is a large perception and so I was curious when I was typing things like what is your since you don't consume meat what is your perception of that that whole I don't know idea well let me important to okay I don't know let me give more context so then I was my my whole I guess my idea behind it is coming from coming from somebody who does raise the animals right and cares a lot about them but like you know if a goat has you can't you cannot take your every single if you have a large flock of something if you have a large herd of something it's it's most often if not every time, not feasible to like seek veterinary care for every little thing. Right. Which is why we kind of learn how to do things on our own Um, outside of like major emergencies where you actually do need help. Well, the main, you know, like the me, the main um, like media and people that aren't in this lifestyle sometimes would perceive that as like not caring for your animals. And then I'm thinking, okay, well you have animals sheep ducks thing you know and you but you don't you don't consume meat but 
what a lot of people also don't kind of have like a, a picture of is they serve so many other functions. Um, and so that was kind of where my mindset was, you know, like, what is your perception of that whole idea of what people think about how we care for our animals where you don't eat them. And so they're not feeding you, but they're taking care of your land and other things. Do I make sense? Yeah. Yes. Um, I think, I think that, well, for anybody who maybe just be starting to listen, the reason I don't eat meat isn't cause I'm, I'm judgy and, no. or yeah. have some sort of a soapbox stance on it. I don't eat meat because I don't, I can't bring myself to kill an animal. And so I'm not going to hire somebody else to do my dirty work for me. I just don't. And I think there's a lot of a lack of appreciation when people are like, Oh, well, I just pretend that I'm not eating a chicken. I just, that's not, I don't, that's not my thing. That's why I don't do it. And so for me, maybe most people would think, oh, well, she must come at it then animal care as, you know, all of her animals run around outside wearing sweaters and she, you know, is like coddling to all of them. It here's the thing. I provide my animals, my stock with the best home that I can. In exchange, I ask them to provide a service. And for me, that's not food. Well, indirectly it is. For me, it's manure for compost using their power to help me pull in harvests and things. You know, the sheep, I have to keep the horses healthy. We've talked about this before. So they are still providing me with something. They're still giving me with something. It's just not, I'm not consuming their actual flesh. You know, so Mm. that's the difference. But I think there are a lot of, vegan, permavangelist, and meat-eating farmers and homesteaders alike who don't give their animals good care. And so I think regardless of whether you're not, you're eating your animals, there's good apples and bad apples in every group. Mm -hmm. Now, that being said, does that mean if I couldn't afford to take my animal to the vet, would that make me a bad owner? No. I think there's some great owners who take really excellent care of their animals. But here's the thing that I, Mandy and I have talked about this so many times and I just, I don't have a good answer for it is, well, shouldn't you only have as many animals as you can afford to get veterinary care for? And I think the answer on that goes both ways. Yeah. Veterinary care should absolutely be something that you take into account, but what do you consider veterinary care? For me, veterinary care is emergencies vaccinations and and routine maintenance items that's veterinary mm-hmm. care i try to t- try to take care of everything in between and if i don't know i get my vets you know say and we oh, work together on a plan yeah the light but a self-sustaining lifestyle for me doesn't mean that i get all these animals and then i rely on somebody else to take care of them that's a really i mean that's a good that's a really good i don't know into that topic even like I don't even know how you follow anything up with that that's a good it's a good maybe like piece to chew on for 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 all of us um I don't know before I want to go back to before we kind of like maybe wrap this up or or what have you maybe touch a little bit more on like the just a minute on the the tough piece and I don't know we kind of did at the beginning so I don't actually know if there's anything else to add but um it that the whole like that whole 
and we can put a, a link to the poem. I actually don't know the or the writing piece. It's not a poem. I keep calling it a poem. Um, but the author is unknown um, for, or I can't find the author. And, you know, it's, it's specifically just kind of talking about people that are, are made for this lifestyle. Um, and I don't know, it's the, the sentence about how it, like homesteading and doing all of these things doesn't make you better. Like it, I'm not better for growing my own food. I'm not better for raising, you know, goats and milking them and making products from them or whatever. That doesn't make me better than the next person. It does reveal me though. You know, it does like it reveals people. It shows people like truthfully who you are. I mean, I don't know. It just, I don't, I, I, I could chew on that for a long time too. Just going back to the simplicity idea that is just not accurate to this lifestyle. Well, I mean, if you're continuing to homestead over the years, what it probably reveals about you is that you're stubborn and ambitious. (laughs) You're committed yeah, I think it means you're creative because you're constantly looking for solutions and you're mm. problem solving. I think it means that you don't follow, for the most part, conventional norms. I think you have a, a different set of values than mainstream society. I think homesteaders value uh, self-reliance and sufficiency at least partially or to some capacity. And I think if you're a homesteader that has stock or takes care of animals, you probably benefit in at least one way from living and a shared lifestyle with them. You value them and their contribution, whether that be food, permaculture, you know, uses, whatever. I think that's... I think those are a lot of wonderful qualities. I agree. You know, but before, before we wrap this up, I do think it's, you know, and I'll share my instance from this weekend. Cause I know after people listen, they're going to reach out, they're going to want to know what happened. So I'll yeah. share the story real quick. But I also want to ask you this as well. If you can think of an incident, maybe while I'm sharing mine and what kind of went through your head and how you respond. Okay. So for me with colic, right. It's, drop everything immediate call the vet because there's no time to be wasted with mm-hmm. Sholto in the stream contact call 911 contact the vet <laughs> get everybody out but really but really that's like those are the true emergencies for me what happened on the farm is last Wednesday I noticed that Dozer's eye my Clydesdale mare was swelling and it was tearing and this is kind of symptomatic of like um a superficial corneal ulcer like a scratch a scratch on the eye and especially in the winter time it's really kind of common because if if they want to hang out in their stable more they're near structures and they do stupid yeah. things like their eyes itch and so they scratch it on the stall door or the post but they're also like around frozen forage which is going to be harder when they put their face down to eat it and it can scratch their eye and then there's ice and there's snow and when they're just yeah. anyway so i noticed the swelling and so i thought okay you know what this has happened a lot of times especially with those are so I sent pictures and a video to the vet and I said, do you agree? I should just go ahead and start the ulcer protocol. 
uh, pupils not snap shut. So that's a different thing. And she's like, yeah, go for it. Give me a call back in two days if it hasn't healed. So that's what I did. But over the course of the two days, the eye was not getting better. Uh, the swelling was more severe and, and we started to have some pussy discharge. So there's clearly an infection happening. And so um, Saturday morning, the vet came out and she's like, you know what? I think she's losing her eye. I think it wasn't superficial. I think she actually had a really deep ulcer that ruptured. And um, her her eye just kind of exploded on itself, if you will. It's obviously super painful and something that can't be easily treated at home. So the plan was to get Dozer to the hospital. Hospital for me is about 15 miles away. So if not close enough where I could just ride her there, I got to get this horse on a trailer. Mm-hmm. Anybody that's ever worked with Dozer knows that Dozer is named that for a reason. And if Dozer doesn't want to get on the trailer, Dozer's not going to get on the freaking trailer. And yeah. so two hours, 15 degrees outside, it wasn't working. I had my trainer here to help. Sean was out there with me. I got Finnegan on the trailer first to see if she'd follow. Cause in the past when she had colic, the only way I got her on was following Finnegan. But I think she wised up to that and knows that trick. So I got to throw that one out. Carrots feed. Hey, I did all the things. And you know what? At, at the end of it, it was like, okay, this isn't going to happen. This isn't life or death. This is not ideal. Yeah. What's the plan? If I can't get her to the vet to have her eye removed, because that's what they were telling me they needed to do, and they're telling me they can't do it in the field, what are we going to do next? What's the backup plan? Again, obviously it's not ideal, but what can be done at this point? Mm -hmm. And so now we are just trying to keep Dozer comfortable. (laughs) It's It's a long shot that vision would be restored in that eye, though I can tell you honestly, I think she sees some shadows for sure. Um, so we're just doing the best we can to yeah. keep it clean. I'm working with my vet to, uh, you know, keep pain at bay, keep the swelling, uh, eradicated. And that's just kind of where we're at. It's kind of a waiting game. So for me, that was emergency, right? Mm-hmm. It ended up being a bigger emergency than what it initially, I thought it was. I thought it was just a scratch and the vet thought the same, but this is what I'm saying. Like, there's only so many things that you can equip yourself with from reading books and, and I love books and I love videos and blogs and blah, blah, blah. There's, you don't know what you don't know. And so without the help of a vet in times like these, I just, I do think if you have animals, you do have a responsibility to at least have somebody you can call. That's a professional medicinal wise to help you through it. Well, I think it's also just kind of a, a piece to know, you know, you could, Think of it as you had a plan, you, you were, you tried and it didn't work. And so what, what is plan B? Cause that happens all the time, all the time, whether it's the horse won't get on the trailer or, you know, the goat breaks its leg or needs surgery or needs a C-section and you're, and the emergency vet is going to charge you $2,000 and you're like, well, I bought this goat for, and this is honest you all. And I'm not, I'm not. I, I'm not trying to be callous, but these things happen all the time, you know, and I worked, I have worked in the veterinary field for so many years, like, well, close to 20 now. And these things happen. people have to make tough decisions all the time. And this is honest when it comes to something like, let's, let's just go the, the C-section and you're like, oh my gosh, well this, you know, or the broken leg, well, it's a little bit nicer 
you know, it, it's going to be thousands of dollars. Well, I bought this goat for $100. And you, you're like, oh, is it, I don't want to pose, I don't want to say, is it worth it? But is it worth it? I mean, like, so plan B's happen. And, and I think that the, my whole point there is knowing how to do some things that are still safe and effective. You just, you figure it out because sometimes you have no other way. I mean, for me, it would be like milk fever or something like that. I mean, in the very beginning, I would have, I would have like, you know, goats or dairy animals in general, they, they die very quickly from things like that. And, you know, you, you learn how to treat that because a lot of times it's, it's something that sure could be managed at a veterinary hospital, but it's also, if you have the tools and the resources and, and you have somebody who can call on, it's something that also could be managed at home for, let's just say it, a lot less money. Um, and a lot less stress on you and also the animal. So I don't know. The, I mean, that's what I told Sean the other day is, you know, there's a big part of me that, um, I'm relieved. The big part of me is relieved. She didn't get on the trailer Yeah, because I who mean, knows how long she would have been there for. And this horse, I already paid to have colic surgery on her yeah. once the stress that they go through there's a good chance they're going to colic from that. It's just the way that horses are built. It sucks. Yeah. And so I, I thought, okay, I'm going to get her there. She's going to be so stressed out. My other horse is like trying to call back to her and to get her back up there. Doesn't know where mm -hmm. she is. He's freaking out. And so it's like, all right, now I've got anxiety. Now I've got ulcers that I'm going to have to manage. And so, whoever said healthy as a horse is an idiot. That's not a thing. There's you know, no they, such thing. No, there's no such thing. They teach us in school and they teach it, you know, in vet school or vet tech school or any type of animal science um, college program is when you do any type of equine studies, I think the first thing that one of my professors told us when we started to, to do equine, equine science is uh, horses are born trying to die. And that's mm -hmm. just like all you need to remember about horse care, veterinary care surrounding horses, hor horse ownership is when a horse is born, it will spend its life trying to die. I just, I feel that in my soul. Somebody <laughs> said, somebody said, or my sheep shearer, when he was out shearing, he's like, do you have any problems with these guys? I'm knocking on wood so hard right now. You're and like, I said, oh. no, they, it's been pretty quiet. And he goes, yeah, well, sheep are only smart when they try to die. I mean, people come up with these things yeah. for a reason. 100%. But you know, not just milk fever, you had a serious emergency when you had the barber pole breakout. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. We did and, call on a vet for that. I mean, you try and do so many things. You you try, you try, you try. You use every you know uh, card in the in my in my like bank of knowledge, and and then sometimes you're just like, and it didn't it didn't actually pan out very well uh, for us. But yeah, it's so many things that you could go so long without having an issue, and then you have an issue, and you're like, crap, I need to figure this out. Um, let's see what what do I know. Or who who knows what I need to know, and can I call on them? Um, one last I, question, real quick. Yeah, you have um, pet dogs, dogs that stay in the house. Yeah. So mm. I did. My last one died. My house dog died last summer. For me, I didn't give my pet dog any different care than I did my livestock sure. so sure. people can take away with that maybe they think then 
that I overindulge my livestock, or maybe they think that I neglect my dog, whatever. Mm -hmm. I think it's a really good balance for all of them. Everybody's well taken care of. Everybody's happy, tended to. That's what I look for. Do you treat your in-house dogs with more quote unquote care or attention than your stock? Gosh, well, people are probably going to hate me for this, but I would say it's probably the opposite. You treat I mean, your stock with more attention or they're your employees or specifically the dogs. Um, I mean, and, or it's a, it's an equal all around. I mean, of course they all have equal veterinary care with their, you know, all the preventatives or, or vaccines or care that they need in general, you know, like all, you know, down to like when I trim nails, I, we have six dogs. I will do everybody on the same day. That way I just know, okay, everybody's done, you know, things like that. Um, I would say, you know, like the only difference is like when the inside dogs or the house dogs go outside to use the bathroom, then I, they get a treat. Like I don't give the dogs at the barn a treat every time they go to the bathroom because I'm not there. Yeah. You know, so it's, um, but, but I, from a homesteader, um, you know, Birds per, you know, from a, from a, the standpoint of somebody who raises animals for a purpose for a business, um, I would say I'm more appreciative of the livestock gardening dogs. If we're comparing dogs, house dogs to outside dogs, um, because they just serve a, a greater purpose. And I love our dogs inside. Um, so and they're very well cared for they're sleeping on a bed probably upstairs right now but like it's different it's just different they don't yeah that's also yeah it's a good it's a good the equal piece what people might think of how you treat an inside dog versus an outside dog or whatever it is but I think something we tend to often hear a lot especially in the homesteading and farming world is when and you have people that are educated or just have a hard time fathoming what you do mm-hmm. and they'll see a horse standing outside the, in the winter time mm-hmm. and they'll look at that horse and say it's cold and surviving isn't the same as thriving mm-hmm. you know and i think that we tend to anthropomorphize things quite a bit i think if you have any true understanding of your animal not just the species but its own like being its own personality preferences likes and dislikes then I think you will take care of it accordingly. If yeah. if that horse is standing outside and the owner loves that horse to death, mm-hmm. but knows that the horse hates being a stall and go crazy and kick the walls. Yep. yep. And the horse is more comfortable outside. And also PS horses were naturally made to withstand weather. Then maybe, maybe we shouldn't be so quick to cast judgment on people mm-hmm. for the way that they raise their animals. If they're healthy and visibly eating and drinking and moving. As mm. they should. Probably just a good piece to end on, and just really my my summary to that is um, benefit of the doubt, and just this lifestyle is tough. It doesn't make you tough. It is tough, and just kind of always keeping in the back of your mind that that you or your neighbor or the person three states over that you drive by and see they're doing their best you kind of just have to sit with that the end 
The end. Yeah. The end. <laughs> Alrighty then. Um, I, uh, we have, as, as Angela mentioned, we have previous episodes that kind of go over, um, an actual like triage list of what we is very basic, but what we keep on our homesteads for, um, triage of, of different species. Um, and so you can look in the show notes, uh, of that episode. I will kind of put some of these statistics in these show notes, but really this is just meant to be a conversational piece. And I hope maybe it's, it's sparked some, uh, it, it, my hope is people might listen to this that don't homestead and kind of, it can shed a little bit of light, but also if you are homesteading, kudos to you, farming, ranching, good job. You're doing a really good job. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Homestead Education Podcast. Any relevant material will be put in the show notes. We hope you'll share our episodes and also click that subscribe button. For more information about this podcast, you can visit us on Instagram at Homestead Education Podcast. Angela can be found online at axeandroothomestead.com and on Instagram at axeandroothomestead. Mandy can also be found online at thefarmermandy.com and on Instagram at Wild Oak Farms. We'll see you next time.